Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Straffer, Michael Palmer, and Brandon Jones with us. Today, we're talking about trends in education. Surprising, I know, with the title of the show, but mega trends into the future and also talking a bit about 2020. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Like, I, I feel like I've been setting up for this the last three years. Like, it's like there's, a, you know, you set them up and then you knock them down, you know. So for three years, uh, we, and I'll include the three of us, Brandon, welcome to the show, Brandon Jones. Uh, esteemed colleague always a pleasure to have you uh we started this whole training and education thing uh three plus years ago but uh you know you do that every week for three years try to figure out what's what's emerging what's accelerating into the future what's on the horizon um you get better at it and then everybody's kind of catching up to that mindset now because i think everybody's on the horizon of the 2020s and everybody's trying to understand what's it going to be like for the next 10 years. Cause I think everyone's sensing that changes is coming. Uh, and in some ways I think there's a little bit of refresh that people want to kind of put the, put the 20th century fully in our rear view mirror and actually be able to lean into living in the future. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot of, uh, good thinking to figure out how do we navigate the future. Uh, and then a lot of that begins, I think, by trying to understand like what's right on the horizon. So, uh, so I think that's why uh, we were bringing, bringing Brandon back and uh, kind of going, going to, uh, to our old uh, playbook a bit with Brandon just to figure out what, do, what does Brandon see on the horizon in the year ahead. And, uh, and then I think we're gonna continue to have these types of conversations, whether it's just the year ahead or the next 10 years because uh, that's the thing that's really been capturing my imagination lately is like by 2030, um, that time horizon is super interesting. And we haven't really done that so much. Like we generally have been more uh, within a year or, or two uh, in terms of the timing. So, uh, so I think we'll continue to cycle in on this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, Brandon, welcome to the show. We definitely uh, want to get your, uh, your, 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 your hot takes yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I, I, I uh, will echo your sentiments here, Mike, that this is always an interesting time of year. Uh, it's sort of come to the end of the year, reflecting and preflecting on uh, what's to come. Uh, and then uh, uh, 10x, uh, so uh, at the end of a decade, right? So, um, you know, we, you know, we have these somewhat arbitrary demarcations in life of what is today versus tomorrow versus next year. And yet, we as humans with, uh, you know, sort of actuarially speaking sense of how long we're going to live, uh, a decade is a meaningful thing, right? And so um, maybe it be becoming less so in the future future where humans are living much longer. But uh, for us, for us, uh, people born in the 20th century, yeah. um, you know, a decade well, is a material measure. We do censuses. Yeah. Senses. Sensei. Uh, sensei? Yeah. Um, yes. every, uh, every decade, uh, yes. you know, there are, you, you, when you think back, people talk about the twenties and thirties and forties. They don't, they don't in many cases talk about the four year period from 1953 to 1957, right? There's like, right. it is a, it is a, um, good way to measure uh, a, a meaningful enough chunk and uh, yes. of, of human history. Um, and so I, I think that's right. And, and I look forward to continue to jam with the two of you and, and others as we talk about what's on the horizon for the next 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, uh, interestingly, uh, the 20 year chunk, it's a score, but people don't oh, talk yeah. about, you don't talk about the score that just, that is finishing, but like we are, uh, we're settling the first score of the 20th, 21st century. 
there i got it uh so good in the next year or so so like we'll be like finalized it's like the bottom of the ninth for it's the so first good it keeps score, on being good you know and then and but then uh yeah yeah so uh so yeah so uh so dan we don't we're not we're, because we do this all the time right we don't have our specific predictions prepared as of yet but i believe brandon has i mean you know, we could wing it a little, but I think it's a we want to we want to build a little suspense around those things will be revealed in due time. But Brandon, yes, I believe, I believe you uh, are ready to to bring some ideas around what you're anticipating. Is it in the year ahead? Like what what time horizon are you ready to talk about? Yes, yeah, so I I would say um, yeah, yes, and you here. Yes, these uh, I've got a couple of things that are on my mind uh, for yeah. 2020. Yeah. And then, uh, and um, I, I'd love to, to jam with you again on uh, a little longer time horizon, but uh, I'll do the, the, the foreshortened version of, uh, of what's coming up in uh, the near future and, and keep, yeah. it, uh, keep it 2020. Yeah. And just, and just one thing, one thing here. So we've talked about uh, when we want to keep it, uh, keep it 2020, right? We want to have our 2020 vision, right? But sometimes it makes sense to be farsighted, in which case you got to keep it 2030. All yeah. right, so I just wanted to I just wanted to put that out there, and now I'm going to get out of the way. So yeah, please, please. I think we have a new a new T-shirt uh, to make there. That's well done, uh, Brandon. What's on your mind? I would say these jokes write themselves, but it's really Mike that writes them. So, but uh, uh, so as we look ahead to 2020, I'll start with a pretty unfresh prediction, um, which is 2020 is uh, an every four year year. So this will be a, an election year, and election headlines are going to dominate everything, and. Um, I, I say that uh, um, sort of uh, woefully. Uh, it's not something I'm looking forward to. I like the, I, I'm, uh, I, I exercise my civic responsibility and, and I lean into this process. Um, so I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't wish for a, a very different system. I, I wish that the sort of tenor of the conversation were different right now. From an education point of view, this is an education podcast. So, you know, the, the, the items that are on the list for, for 2020, you'll probably hear on debate stages, et cetera, include uh, free college education for all or in some format, whether that's free community college, uh, free four-year college, uh, you know, dr dramatically reduced cost burden uh, for college. Um, I'm interested in that. I, I hope that, uh, that that does pique some interest because uh, I think that educational attainment, although I, I do think that a, for a farsighted uh, forecast here, 2030, there's going to need to be more material change in our higher education system. Tuition's My, too damn high. <laughs> that's the good. Tuition is too damn high. <laughs> that's right. Uh, for folks who don't know, the, the rent is too damn high guy from New York City, go check him out. Uh, you can Google that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I think for 2020, I can, I can pretty, pretty confidently say that there will not be major changes in the higher education system. So things like free community college or college fall is, are, are important. Um, and the second is uh, debt forgiveness of student loans. So, you know, this is one where it um, doesn't really matter where you are on the political spectrum is uh, you're going to have a point of view on it. Um, and I don't know that there is one point of view that is necessarily more right than another, but it is a real burden. And, um, and I think does, uh, you know, demand a healthy conversation about what we, what we do about that. And th those two things are linked for future students, 
but for the students who have gone through. And, you know, thinking about 2020, we have uh, students who are, who are bearing student loan debt and who are in college who were born in the 21st century. Right. And uh, for the 2020 election, this is the first time that people born in the 21st century will be voting for a president in the United States of America. Right. So, you know, that, that is uh, the demographic change, and I'll come back to that in a little bit, but the demographic changes, they're, they're happening. Uh, yeah. Whether or not you see them, uh, they, are, they are happening. Um, so my, my last point on the, on the 2020 election is I, I'm, I'm activated by the education-related items. Um, I am, uh, you know, despondent is probably too uncharitable, but I'm, I'm doubtful that those will bubble up. I think that the 2020 election is gonna be about electability. Um, and uh, and sort of fit for the office of presidency. Um, right. That's, that's I, I, yeah. we're going to be hearing. Plus the impeachment, like whatever's going to be unfolding in the next few weeks. I mean, like, like it's almost like we're going to go through some ordeals even before the election happens. You know, yeah. so like, but but like these topics are like are spot on. Like to, like they'll be bubbling up, but like like we are in the midst of a constitutional crisis. So like. <laughs> the likelihood that like educational policy is transformed, you know, hopefully the Congress, maybe we could help us like focus the conversation, get more like the, the topics you're raising also like, you know, affirmative action in higher ed is another interesting one that, uh, that I think is going to have a lot of attention, probably even at the Supreme court, uh, you know, there, there will be place where education is bubbling up, but I, but it's going to be tough to really make an impact amidst the noise. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, so, uh, so uh, good, uh, good luck navigating your way through the noise to all of uh, those. And I, by, by that noise, I don't mean the, 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 the dulcet tunes of uh, the three of our voices. I mean, the, the noise that's going to be around you 2020 election style. Um, so uh, that, that's one of three. I've got uh, two more. So the second is, um, uh, it's, a, it's a call back to, uh, to an old uh, favorite of mine, but, but five words for you. Uh, those five words are Greta Tinton Eleanor Ernman Thunberg. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So uh, she is uh, the youngest, uh, this is uh, the, the climate activist, 16-year-old climate activist from Sweden. Yeah. Uh, you've probably seen bringing, her. Uh, bringing pigtails back. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So she, uh, she is, has most recently been named, as we close out this decade, Time's youngest ever person of the year, mm -hmm. uh, which, is, uh, which is incredible and speaks to, again, uh, the trend we've talked about a couple times here of kid solving. Uh, yep. I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there are a couple things that are interesting about her story. Uh, one is her age, uh, not to be too reductive, but she's 16. So yeah. she is a 21st century child. Um, she is, uh, has made, uh, gotten onto a world stage quite literally, having briefed the, the United Nations um, as, a, uh, as a 16 year old political activist that for, mm -hmm. and her principal concern is around climate change. Um, and the, con the, the, the rhetoric of that conversation and, and some, including some elective officials, have just dismissed it. Um, but the rhetoric there is to get, to get attention of the adults in the room. Yep. She has talked about how adults are stealing her future. Mm -hmm. And I do think that is a, a theme that will continue to develop is a generational tension um, you can see this in OK Boomer. You can see this a lot of yep. places, but generational tension between uh, children who are increasingly empowered and increasingly have platforms through social media, et cetera, to demand 
change from the people who hold economic power and who are our right. adults. So I right. think that the, the tension there isn't going to continue to be uh, on display. Yeah. And um, I, I, for one, I'm, I'm hashtag team Greta. Um, right. I, I think that um, we, we should do more in, in listening to the, the children with, um, with powerful voices uh, around us. Yeah, um, that one's super. That one's super interesting too. Just in terms of the political power that's available to someone prior to being able to vote, is really just speech. You know, speech and the right to assemble. Um, and like, that's the thing that is really interesting to me is how the younger. And then beyond that, there's holding elected office. And if you look at how uh, how old the Senate is skewing, in particular in the U.S., you know, it's like people in their late 60s and 70s is probably like the average uh, age of a US senator, uh, you know, for the rising generations to feel like they can actually impact the political world. Um, it's not really going to be through traditional um, democracy. It's more through the right to assemble, the right to mobilize. So I, I do think that you're, you're definitely hitting on something. And I think Greta is hitting on that thing, uh, which, which I think you had talked about as kids hopping back in the day. And, um, and I also think it's more intergenerational uh, and complex too, like uh, around the um, the relationships too, because like I, I particularly the boomers aging out is the is the thing that I think is uh, really resonating. And then how divided, you know, because basically there's two or three generations in the middle between like Greta and uh, a U.S. senator, for example, and like the the majority of the country is in the middle there, but we're sort of watching that conversation happen. And it, what I'm interested in is to see how it becomes more multi, multiple voices with different perspectives that aren't only sort of um, understood, only indexed against age. Uh, Cause I think sometimes that can be uh, limiting as well. You know, like uh, Greta be, uh, should be a wonderful guest too. So, uh, so we should, uh, so we yeah, should Dan, explore Dan, what you've got yeah, uh, yeah, an assignment yeah. for you there. Yeah. Uh, two last things on Greta before I wrap um, with my third. So one is, um, I, my, Mike, you've talked about this, this author, the author of Sapiens, uh, you've all know Harari uh, in the past. Um, one of, uh, I think it was probably from last year, but one of the, an article that he wrote um, or a synthesis of uh, something they had written uh, talked about um, how a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, 200 years ago, it made sense to trust adults because adults knew, were good, had good uh, connection to sort of from, a, from an actuarial point of view, from a predictable point of view, what the world was going to look like when their children grew up. And uh, that's no longer the case. So, you know, if this is uh, uh, reductive, but the idea that children should be trusting adults to give them life advice that's maybe more tenuous than it's been. And so this yeah. is again, just in the sort of Greta space. Especially if it involves programming a VCR, right? I mean, like they just should not trust right. them anymore. That's right. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that. I mean, I'm in a, a DVD player, sorry. Excuse yeah, me. yeah. Um, and then the uh, the last item on, on Greta, and this is maybe a segue into the next, is she has, and her mom has opened up about her Asperger's. And um, Greta talks about that as her superpower. And I think uh, um, sort of bridging from there to the third and, and 
disclosure, uh, I, uh, I work for a behavioral mental health company uh, that does uh, exam preparation, continuing education. So this is going to sound a little bit like a shill and I'm not intending it to, but um, uh, I do think that behavioral mental health is for 2020 even. And then you know, maybe if I can uh, plug that for your, for your broader uh, 10 trends yeah. for the next 10 mm -hmm. years, Mike, yeah. um, like that, that is, going to be can become increasingly important. And I think Greta is actually a good example, again, to segue here where, you know, someone is um, turning what is a condition that, that um, yields uh, a lot of social anxiety, turning right. that into a, a superpower. I like the language around that. And so mm -hmm. um, early diagnosis, early treatment, the right kind of care, behavioral analysis, uh, some of the, the, the whole person movement, uh, yep. you know, when the, the whole patient movement, you know, we talked about yep. the whole student movement, the whole teacher movement, um, talking to a, a pediatrician the other day, and he was talking about he's, he's a proponent of uh, sort of holistic medicine and a whole patient movement, that typically there are two outcomes for patients uh, in, t in healthcare system today, it's either pharmacological or surgical. Uh, and really that there should be a third set of outcomes, uh, right. which today is just sort of a bridge to one of those other two. Um, I, I, I do think that behavioral health uh, and that, in, that can sort of sweep up things like um, quantified self, um, you know, starting to, to get attuned to your self uh, and not just your physical state, but also your mental state is going to be gets, really important. It, it, you get social and emotional about absolutely, it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then the, maybe the last, the last point on this, and this is going to be increasingly so over the, over the future, is the demographic shifts are really important. And uh, when you think about mental health care, for example, the way that that care is going to be preferred to be consumed and preferred to be delivered is changing. It is no longer a feature to have someone show up to a, you know, a building with four walls and sit on a leather couch. You know, that is, right. that is not a feature. Right. Uh, more of that is going to be delivered through telehealth, more on your phone. And I think that's really important. If you can get, there's all this, this, this study that shows if you can get to, to people in crisis in those moments of crisis, you can avert yep. even more serious crises. So yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hope, I, I guess I started off a little bleak as I talked about 2020 election and what's going to be coming in our news feed. I guess, uh, I guess this one is more aspirational, which right. is, yeah, um, you know, if we can remove the taboo around talking about mental health, right. uh, if we can provide um, both assessment and care for people who need it, uh, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're people that live on the inside as much as the outside. And so we, we got we to gotta treat, uh, be thoughtful about uh, who we are, who the world is uh, in, in all those ways. Yeah, makes sense. And like me, even though we've talked a little bit about neurodiversity too, that, you know, groups that include people on the Asperger's syndrome, folks with uh, ADHD or, you know, on whichever spectrum you look at, um, generally that diversity is going to add to a culture make uh make that help you understand different options make better decisions uh which it, which is really awesome and then at the same time um i think thinking more about how mental health and behavioral health ties to the self-care self-improvement movement and how a lot of it is already i think the stigma is already starting to uh to disappear particularly through like mindfulness and um 
you know, the, 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 the sort of behavioral practices that are leading to um, less loneliness, you know, really, really sort of averting uh, some of the behavioral problems that I think are emerging around social media um, without good behavioral health planning and good design thinking around how to sort of fix what's broken about humanity. I think we're in a lot of trouble, uh, but I'm very hopeful that 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 sort of collective awareness that the zeitgeist is starting to pivot um, in the direction you're heading, which uh, which also hopefully uh, bodes well for you professionally too. Uh, so uh, so good good uh, on that, uh, Dan. Any uh, any uh, any time for rebuttal or uh, follow up? Are you do you want to cede any of your time? Any any concluding remarks from? Uh, my esteemed colleague from the the Boston area, uh, Mr. Speaker, I'll, I will keep my time and uh, quickly say I think it's also uh, indicative of how learning's going. One to one learning, digital learning, and the, the like there I think is going to go hand in hand with what Brandon's talking about from a social, emotional, and from a, a therapy perspective. We're going to see more people reaching out to individuals to teach them things on a one to one basis as we move forward. So a great segment, Brandon. We'll have you back very soon. Mike and I will continue the conversation after this. Back here with Mike, Dan Strafford, talking about some predictions for 2020. We just heard Brandon Jones, former co-host and, and a guest here on the show regularly, some of his predictions. Uh, he talked a little bit about teletherapy, Mike, which we've talked about pretty exclusively, not extensively is the right word there, on the show. Uh, but as I said to Brandon, it really speaks to me, the idea of technology and learning, right? That we're just growing the one-to-one, the peer-to-peer, the live online aspect of learning. And though MOOCs may have been killed off a few years back, it's just going to keep growing and keep becoming part of the fabric of learning. Do you agree with that? I think so. Although I would view, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, the MOOCs, I would distinguish MOOCs from like behavioral health, uh, you know, just, oh, sure. just generally uh, that, and also I wouldn't necessarily count MOOCs out. Like I think lots of times they, they, they maybe miss the mark in terms of their early hype and uh, they're still part of the world we live in and the language is just going to, evolve uh so uh so I, I actually thought it was an interesting uh decade to think about MOOCs but uh that's more looking backwards looking ahead I think behavioral health is an interesting concept and uh you know full disclosure that's where Brandon is now uh working at a behavioral health company uh Triad Behavioral Health uh we also talked to um uh Russell Glass uh Ginger and Kate Everly Walker at Presence Learning um, not to mention, we've been tracking some of the uh, social isolation and uh, uh, social uh, pressures that uh, particularly the rising generations are facing uh, in, in this day and age, uh, in many ways driven by uh, screens and, and use of those types of things. So um, I think behavioral health obviously uh, is, 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 is going to be big in the next uh, year. Um, and uh, getting back to the, the point that I think we're going to be shifting into is like, we actually want to understand both 2020, but also start looking towards 2030. So like, what, what do the next 10 years look like? Because um, if you can plan with that type of strategic horizon, uh, frequently you can um, unlock potential now, if you think about what might be a favorable outcome 10 years from now. So like, um, trying to be farsighted in our uh, perspective there, uh, I think will be, will be really useful. Um, and I'd love to get more voices in on the, um, you know, just trying to imagine what's coming, you know, and uh, understand that we all see it from our own 
um, from our own perspective, which is obviously going to have its own um, biases uh, as well. Um, I think the more we can get people thinking about what's coming, uh, the more likely uh, people will start to get creative about uh, getting to new places. And, uh, and that's the other thing. It's like uh, all the research I've read has, has said it's important to think about multiple outcomes. Like don't, don't over-index on one scenario. Even if you think your prediction is perfect, you're going to be wrong in some surprising ways because life is surprising and uh, just be flexible and adaptable, you know, so it's that, uh, you know, strong opinions lightly held, I think is the language that I got from uh, Colonel Chris Mayer when we were talking about VUCA and strategic thinking. Um, I kind of like that, the idea that, um, you know, clarity of vision, but flexibility of action, you know, so like you get a, a broad sense, we're going to move in this direction, but then be opportunistic about the actual, uh, deeks and and jukes you have when you're out in the open field you know uh to bring a, a an american football reference uh, to bear i always uh, appreciated the uh, gretzky references in in the past so uh this is getting into the football field i will say uh, i love the idea of multiple predictions and and multiple outcomes and the idea of projecting to 2030 and then trying to figure out how we get there like yeah. what happens over those 10 years that gets us to those multiple outcomes Alana IQ comes to mind with the way they projected for, and I know you went to that, that conference yep. and not saying just one outcome, but five different possibilities. And yeah. here are the, the positives, here are the negatives. Here's how we might get here. I love that frame of, of mind. Yeah, there, there was a great book uh, that I read, uh, Stephen Johnson. Maybe we could try to get him on the show at some point, but he wrote a book called Farsighted, which was one of the books that I read this year. Uh, it talks all about this. It talks about um, being a long-term strategic thinker, which is very different from being a good tactician uh and ideally you can do both of those things where like you know when you're in the moment and you need to make a lot of you know low stakes fast decisions you can do it and not feel uh frozen by analysis paralysis uh which i think with the advent of big data and data science i think that's increasingly a problem particularly in management where you know people aren't able to lead or make decisions until they get data and it winds up slowing everything down um, so I think that's an interesting thing on the, the short-term perspective. But then when you're looking at a longer time horizon, um, that book, Farsighted, was super interesting. And it talked about, um, in addition to understanding multiple uh, scenarios, uh, preferably favorable, you want to understand both good, bad, and weird scenarios so that you're, you sort of have the facility in the moment to understand what if things go beautifully according to plan like what if they even exceed expectation what would i do you know and then flip side what if everything went wrong what would i do and then the third range of scenarios is and then what if something just totally off the radar happened um which um which is also why simulations and scenario-based thinking um are one of the macro trends that uh, i would see really for the foreseeable future say the next 10 years is that Think, thinking about like interactive scenarios, immersive experiences that teach decision makers how to make increasingly complex decisions with uh, just inundation of signals and noise and data, you know, because I think increasingly to make good decisions, you're going to need to be able to filter extra stuff out and then still be able to have that clarity to sort of and situational awareness to kind of like make fast real-time decisions. Um, 
all of that to me speaks a little more to mindset training. Like, you know, and I think that comes from practice, not in the game, not in the game. It comes from practice, Dan. And uh, everybody's talking about AI. Yep. Who's talking about practice? We're talking about practice. We are. Each and every, uh, each and every time we record. I yeah. will also say, uh, I think that the idea you said, uh, strongly, strong opinions, uh, lightly held. is yeah. The idea. I, I think something I've learned in doing this show and also just in life is being okay being wrong and learning from it and, and having, having opinions, but also being able to learn from when you're not right with said opinions yeah. on them and keep going. I think this business trying to predict out the future, trying to see where trends are going, uh, being able to adjust on the fly and, and understand new trends or new data points yeah. uh, is such a big part of it as well. Yeah, I agree. And like view that as it's like, it's an opportunity to learn, you know, when you're, when you're wrong, if you're always right, you're never learning, you know, so the game's over, dude. Uh, you know, so, so like if you're occasionally have a misread, it's like, how much do you confidently assert something when you don't really know? Right that's another problem, you know? So like, if you don't actually know what you're talking about, don't assert that you do, uh, which is another uh, challenge I think we all fall prey to. But I think the, the reality is we're all learning as we go. We're all failing regularly. Uh, I just think you don't necessarily wanna position it all negatively. You know, like I, th I think there are opportunities to kind of reframe, um, you know, how to, uh, how to operate, you know, cognitive uh, restructuring is what it's called frequently, uh, you know, in behavioral therapy. Um, but, but there are ways in which you can sort of change your own mindset. Um, obviously, you need to be in a good place to be able to do that. But like, hopefully, we can start providing more of those types of tools so that people understand um, how to break out of their um, ruts and uh, be more flexible in your thought and uh, be more hopeful and positive and calm as a leader. Um, it's all good stuff. And, uh, and then we're entering into prediction season, Dan, like no joke. We're going to be talking about predictions probably for the next year, right? Like right. 2020, it's a year to talk about predictions for the next decade. And, uh, and it's really just, just starting. It's, it's a super symmetrical year if people are going to be thinking about the future and uh, hovercrafts and uh, and robots and brain computer interfaces and uh, and then we'll all be social and emotional. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, right? We're looking forward to 2020. I think uh, you know they're right there. The uh, the year of the prediction as we look forward to many many predictions across the year. Lots of research, lots of researchers, lots of teachers and educators and learners on the podcast as well to get their points of view, get new voices on here talking about what is uh, important to them and what they see in the future of learning and education. That's going to do it for this episode. As Mike said, though, stay tuned. Plenty more predictions to come, both uh, of the formal episode. Uh, like, but also uh, throughout episodes when we're discussing different topics throughout the year, you'll hear a ton about it. If you have predictions or you have thoughts on 2020 and also 2030 out there 10 years from now, I'd love to hear from you on social media. That's uh, at Trending Ed on Twitter, same on Facebook, linkedin.com slash Trending Education, a great place to have conversations around topics such as these. So join us over there. If you're on LinkedIn, we'd love to hear from you. And of course, check out trainingandeducation.com. That will be growing and changing over the next few weeks. We look forward to getting more and more content out throughout 2020 on trainingandeducation.com. As always, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education. 